This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. Assalamu alaikum, hello Allah, and welcome to Life Beats with me, Sally Musa. You're about to meet the first hijabi Nike trainer and Nike Run Club coach and the face of the groundbreaking pro hijab. Get ready to hear the incredible story of marathoner and mountaineer Manal Rostrum as she joins me to talk breaking barriers and overcoming fears to reach new heights. Keep it here on Life Beats on Pulse 95. Pulse 95. Life Beats with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. From growing up hating her culture and faith to smashing every stereotype around Muslim women and what they can and can't do, Manal Rostum is a trailblazer for women across the world. As the first trainer and Nike Run Club coach and the first Arab to be featured on their app, Manal became the inspiration for the company to create the Pro Hijab, a small garment that has had a massive impact for Muslim women in sport. It is such a pleasure to be welcoming into the Life Beat studio marathoner, mountaineer, model, and founder of Surviving Hijab, Manal Rostam. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Zali. It's incredible having you here in the studio. I followed you for a long time and, and have uh, absolutely loved who you are and what you do the the strength that you put out there is amazing you're you're somebody who you know you have this energy that can just conquer anything thank you so much and we love that but you weren't you know let's start from that you weren't always like that though look i grew up in kuwait um you know in a very conservative family like the typical right like my patient parents are egyptian um you know i grew up in an international british school and you know you grow up as a third culture kid and you are so confused all the time you know you want to go off and do all these crazy things but then you're told that you're not a boy to do all these things no girls don't climb mountains girls don't go and run the world or get on a plane to run like a four four hour marathon and i'm just like thinking like why not like what is actually wrong with all this um until things started to change for me like you know i got my job in dubai and i was like look um, i was 32 at the time i was like now is the time to like break free of all the you know the conservative behavior or what is actually told that is right and what is actually told that is not right Mm. and when i moved to dubai i just felt in my heart like so i gave off my 20s checking off somebody else's list in terms of what I'm supposed to be or what I'm supposed to do. So I got my master's degree. I got like the fancy job in a multinational. But what about my dreams? Like I wanted to climb mountains. I wanted to start running the world, literally, you know, and I my first mountain was in 2012. I signed up to Kilimanjaro, you know, behind everyone's back. And I just literally went off to my dad and said, "Okay, look, this summer I'm going to Kilimanjaro. I was um, 2012 it was uh, august 2012 and but i was like what wait like where'd you get the money i was like i paid everything's taken care of i'm just letting you know that i'm gonna do that you just been planning it for a long time of you course were like, five years and, and then you just kind of gave notice and said i'm going to do this because look i discovered something about arab parents and i'm really saying this with a lot of love and open-mindedness and i'm not trying to turn little girls against their parents or whatnot but like I feel our parents respond better to open conversations than asking them a yes or no question. So, for example, if you take, can I climb a mountain? 
the question, the answer will always be no. It's too dangerous. It's uh, very uh, masculine. Um, girls cannot do that. But if you go and be like, okay, so I want to climb a mountain. How can we do that? So strike up a conversation with the parents and open their mind to what is actually um, possible, and it will really change the dynamics of everything. You've done uh, so many summits later. Uh, you've done so many marathons later. Uh, but there was, you know, this big turning point in your life where running actually saved your life, as you right. say. Talk right. to me about that. So I've always been a runner. Like I was actually like in the track and field team back in high school. Um, it was called like a Kifsak and uh, EMAC team where we used to like uh, cross school like competitions and stuff all the time. And then when I graduated from high school, I felt like I didn't want to lose touch with running. And I felt like the only way to stay in touch with, you know, my soul from that like high school was to continue running, running for whatever reason, like either to stay in shape, to get over, to get over boys who break your heart, you know, all the time, like after every breakup, um, it's always like, okay, let's go for a run, you know, I'll feel better. And when I say running saved my life, it's because I really sincerely believe that running has miraculous effects on the body, mm. you know, to help you release those endorphins, um, overcome hardships, um, overcome struggles. And this is scientifically proven, by the way, you know, like sports will always make you feel better. But running for me was like my sport of choice. You know, I just felt like I would go on a run. I'd feel horrible, but then I'd come back. I feel, oh, my God, I'm invincible. Like I, I totally got this. And I challenge you to start running, Sally, because last night you were telling me you want to start running, right? <laughs> oh, man. You know what? Uh, we, we have to have that conversation off air. But yes, you are the kind of person who makes me want to run, even though I've never Good. run in my entire life. So yeah. uh, let's make it happen. Please. Uh, however, <laughs> let's kind of go back uh, a little bit to Manal as well and kind of, um, you know, talk about growing up and, you know, those turning points that have just been the driving force behind everything that you do now mm -hmm. you used to be in a music band i had my own band back in university so yeah. i was a, like a lead singer right and um like i just had to sort of stop because that was uh, frowned upon in society mm. believe it or not so i was studying uh, to become a pharmacist um, back in like early 2000s and like late 1999, 1998. And yes. I remember I was doing so well. Other universities would contact me and my dad would be like, no, 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 no. You need to focus on um, studies and like, oh, what is this? Like, so you're going to uh, shift careers. And, you know, this is actually sad because what could have become of that little singer who had a, a nice voice? Like now we have so many programs and shows that empower this kind of talent. You know, Arabs got talent or I don't know, like there's so many shows out there imagine we had these shows back then and I would have been like no I want to apply but then it's always like parents just want to see the doctor the engineer the lawyer mm. you know and it's just sad because like I said you don't know what you might have missed out on if you had just like pursued that one talent and I remember very clearly as I sat and wrote down my um, options you know to enter uni I remember I was like I told my dad I was 16 I was like I have no idea what I want to do with my life he's like your aunt is a pharmacist. Most of my friend's daughters are pharmacists. I think pharmacy would be amazing for you. I was like, oh, okay. I do love chemistry and biology, but I love sports. And I remember sitting before my dad and I said, I want to put sports as my first option. He's like, no, 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 no. Your grades are too good. So look at what actually happens. You know, down the line, your passion will always find its way up and surface and get over whatever you might, you know, try to convince yourself 
that you know is what you are meant to be doing i served you know my term basically for pharma like you know i i worked as a pharmacist for 14 years multinational companies i worked as a compound pharmacist um but i i just really and sincerely always felt like something was missing until i lost my job three years ago mm -hmm. um you know my multinational company was going through like a redundancy sort of phase yeah. and at the time i thought like it was the worst thing that happened to me but subhanallah like it really turned out to be one of the best because I just catapulted my my passion and dreams and life. You know, I had already um, started working with Nike at the time in 2014. But then when, you know, the adversity hit in 2016 and I thought, OK, what am I going to do with myself? Like I'm, I'm, I'm on such a high salary. You know, how will I be able to survive? I was doing you know, sports as a side hustle, like mm. as a trainer and a coach. But will that actually make me able to pay for my I live alone? I'm single. Um, my parents live in Kuwait. Um, will that actually enable me to pay for my apartment, for my car, for my food? How will I afford it? And I pushed Sally and pushed and pushed and pushed and I hustled. And there were days when I cried on my bedroom's you know, floor, you know, not knowing what's going to be. But Wallahi, wallahi, for anyone listening to this, passion, if you only can persevere, passion will always find a way. There's always someone out there who's looking out for someone who's like pushing so much for their dreams as hard and as much as you are. And it's going to be like, you know what? We want her. Come. You know what, Manal, when we come back, uh, I want you to talk about, you know, that turning point uh, where faith started playing a bigger role in your life we're going to be talking about that and also starting what is now the biggest facebook support group for women who do wear the hijab around the world more than 667,000 members today right. right now as we speak absolutely incredible story so much to talk about with the incredible manal rustam that's all coming up here on life beats on pulse 95 you're listening to Pulse 95. Pulse 95. Live Beats with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. We are back uh, with Manal Rostrom and, and Manal. Um, when you were 19, there was, uh, you know, quite a moment where things really changed for you in life. So talk to us a bit about that and what happened. So uh, 20 years ago, I never thought like the day would come when, <laughs> when I'd do like a throwback and say 20 years ago. Okay, so 20 years ago, I was 19 years old and um, like I was very different in the sense that party girl, super loud. I'm, I'm still loud, but like hated the hijab so much. Like I hated the way that it was represented on media, mm. first and foremost. And naturally, you would take these representations and um, you would basically mag like magnify them and feel like, okay, so this is how I should look if I was to ever wear the hijab. Boring, uneducated, uncool, um, I don't have a hobby, I'm so unapproachable. And these are things that are just like so false. It's just like it's stereotypes. But that's what we saw. We, you and I growing up, you know, we're of the same generation. That's the only thing that you saw growing up in media. Yeah, exactly. So I, I just felt like I didn't want to ever be labeled like that because I was not boring. I did not hope to be uncool. Mm. I had a passion for sports. I had my own band. So in not, when, when I was 19, we went through a fatal accident. Um, and what happened was that I swapped seats with my cousin five minutes before the accident. And wallahi, subhanAllah, it was just so spontaneous and random. And, you know, this is when you really need to understand that fate is fate and everything is written so 
Mohammed broke two bones in his spine and he was paralyzed on the spot um, because the front tire blew up and we swerved into the desert. The bus turned like three times and then my dad got thrown out of the bus. Uh, my cousin broke two bones in his, his spine and he was paralyzed on the spot. So imagine that loud and hyper and athletic girl um, got paralyzed on the spot and I didn't. I came out of the, like, the accident literally like injury free. You know, Muhammad passed away a couple of months later um, due to like a pulmonary embolism, which is basically a clot in the lungs. And it, for me, it was a wake up call. Saraha, like it was, I just felt like, okay, something needs to change here, you know. Um, fine, I pray, I fast, but how can I give more? You know, God saved my life and he didn't only give me a second chance in life, but rather I, I came out of the accident injury free. I could have been on a wheelchair for the rest of my life. You know, I could have died. Am I ready to die? So you start asking yourself all these questions. And for me, the first thing that came to my mind was the fact that, oh my God, okay, maybe I should wear the hijab. You know, but I did not want to wear the hijab for the reasons that we mentioned earlier. So I went and secretly did my homework. You know, what is it? Why do women do it? Like, I actually had, you know, a clear understanding of the hijab. And it made so much sense to me. You know, one, it's a compulsory form of worship. Two, it should not be forced upon anyone. Three, it does not prevent you from pursuing education or passion or hobbies or sports or whatever you want to do in life. I mean, all this... All these things that we hear about women being oppressed because of it. No, I'm sorry. Society, you know, is what's causing the oppression, not hijab. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I speak out loud about this like all the time. So, and then I went off and took my decision and I wanted to wear the hijab um, in, in 2001. So I had taken about a couple of years, you know, to make peace with it. And um, strangely enough, my parents said, no, like you're too young. You know, and even though they're conservative, so that confused me even more. I was like, how can you stop me from doing something that like I, is right? Mm -hmm. You know, um, and then they're like, no, but we just want to understand, like, who's who talked you into this? I'm like, no, it's making perfect sense to me. So my dad warned me of three things. He's like, OK, just a heads up sports. You will not be able to go running as much as you do, because how are you going to go running at the time? 20 years ago, please explain to me what gear did we actually have? that was compliant with hijab. You it know? sounds ridiculous, but actually, you know, it was really difficult. You know, it's difficult to find uh, a hijab that you can wear that is breathable, that is light. For those who have never had to wear it, you know, when you're uh, exercising and when you're playing sport, that was actually, that one tiny piece of clothing was a huge barrier, wasn't it? Look, you know, when you do sports, you have to find what's comfortable and mm. what's right. It's as if you're going to a wedding. You can't just like wing it and just wear anything when you're going to a wedding. The, the same rule applies, you know, when you're um, putting like an outfit together to go on a run or to go work out. It really makes an impact and it really makes a difference, yeah. you know. Um, so, yeah. So he said sports. He also said um, you, we travel a lot. You know, how are you going to deal with all these um, negative things that and I was like, maybe maybe I can change it. You know, and God bless that 21 year old inside of me who stood up before her father and said, you know what, I want to make a difference. And my dad is like, OK, fine, but it's a one way ticket. It's not a one way ticket because only death is, I feel. And you can always go back for whatever reason and take it off. Not that it's, you know, a great thing to do. But mm -hmm. if you do happen to do that in no khalas, like. Uh, and life is a journey. Exactly. It's, it's not something that, you know, you don't stay the same person, you know, all the time. You can get a change of heart, a change of faith. Your circumstances can change. Yeah. Nobody is there to judge you. Mm. So I wore the hijab on the 7th of April, 2001. 
And oh my God, it's been like a wild ride. You know, it's been like ups and downs, tears and, you know, joys. And okay, like I'm a representative of my religion. No, I hate it. No, I like it. No, oh my God, they know I'm a Muslim because of it. It's, it's just like a roller coaster. And I just kept pushing and pushing until 2014 when um, I just felt like, okay, you know what? I feel like I'm, I'm done. Like it's too much for me. I want to take it off. And that was when, you know, I went back to my dad and I said, hey, look, uh, remember like um, 13 years ago, I went to wear the hijab and he said, don't do it. And I did. And then now it's 13 years later and I want to take it off. And my dad was like, God bless him. I remember where we sat, what we were talking about, what we were wearing. And he's like, so you're 34 years old now and you want to take off your hijab and you're coming to me for advice. And you were 21 and you went off and you took your own decisions and you expect me to inspire a decision like that. He's like, you want to take it off? Go off, take it off. Adi. I was like, Adi? I was like, what do you mean Adi? Like, you're not going to fight here with me. We're not going to like, you're not going to disown me. He's like, this is your journey. This is your story. Um, I don't know what happened in 13 years, you know, to change your heart so much. But go off and do whatever you want. And I felt so small, you know, I really felt so small. And I felt like, okay, I don't want to take it off. Like, I'm not going to succumb to society's um, expectations just because I'm banned from a restaurant or I'm banned from a hotel. And we have to remember 2014, you know, now we see you, we see Halima Adin, we see Ibtihaj Muhammad, we see so many incredible role models. But back then, you know, even uh, five years ago, you didn't, you still didn't see, you know, those uh, representatives that, that helped you know, helped you to be who you wanted to be. Sally, just to set the scene, five years ago, and I and I say that and I get a lot of goosebumps, okay? We had no Muslim models in the scene of like modeling or fashion or sports or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Zero, yeah. you know? We didn't have Maria Adrisi. Um, I'm not sure if I, I'm allowed to say brands or... Uh, yeah, well, so, you know, exactly. So she's the Maria first Adrisi, model. she's been on the show as well. Oh, yeah. perfect. So yeah. she's the first model for H&M. H&M yeah. You know, uh, Halima Aden is the first model to be, um, you know, hired by IMG models. I'm the first um, hijabi model or athlete, you know, to um, do like a Nike running Middle East campaign. Right. And it's a lot of pride, you know, to, to have inspired the generations to come like that. You know, that 13-year-old girl who might be a third culture kid, who's looking up and is like, okay, I totally fit in. If she wants to be a Gigi Hadid, she can. If she wants to be a Manal Rostam, she can. You know, it's really as simple as that. You're giving them options and you're giving them choices. I'm pretty sure in the fashion stakes, you're like, you know, giving Gigi Hadid a run for her money. <laughs> I love your outfits. Every time I see you in something, I'm just like, this is epic. I and wish we can show them. Oh, no, we but. will. Yeah, we will. This will be up on our, our stories later on. And cool. also, um, uh, we're going to post uh, photos as well. But, you know, this was really the big turning point. And when we come back after the break, Manal, um, I want you to talk about, you know, how you actually then decided we need the support we need the community and then starting the biggest facebook group for this and uh, we need to talk about you know your incredible achievements as a, a marathon runner and a mountaineer as well thank you so much still to come here with manal rostam on life beats on pulse 95. this is pulse 95. tune in live every weekday from 2 p.m Sally Musa, only on Pulse 95.
Manal Rostam is here with me talking about uh, breaking boundaries and overcoming fears to achieve some of her wildest dreams. Manal, uh, you know, you are somebody who doesn't let no stand in your way ever, which is uh, amazing and such an inspiration, uh, and which is why you were feeling like you needed the support and a lot of people around you as well needed the support too. So you decided to found what is now the biggest Facebook group who are also, you know, seeing us uh, online as we speak, surviving. Hijab, talk to us about that. How did you come up with this? Why, where, who? Talk to us about that. So after my conversation with my father, you know, I went off and had to make my own decisions basically as an adult you know, um, a responsible adult who wants to go back in her decisions and was told, you know what, you do whatever you want. You're an adult now, right? You're not like, you're not a kid. Um, and, you know, I was hearing a lot of this person took off their hijab and this person took off their hijab and this person was banned from entering, you know, this particular hotel. And I was just like, you know what, someone needs to do something about this. And I remember somebody clearly spoke to me and said, um, I'm going to say it in Arabic and I'm going to um, translate it. I'm, uh, they were like, everyone took off their hijab, like, which means... You're the only one left. You're the only one left. Like, what are you, wh- why are you holding on, you know, and for what? And I felt that comment was so offensive on so many levels. Like, it was offensive because, one, not because everybody's doing it means that you have to do it as well. Mm. And two, it's like... Who are you, you know, to interfere with my life decisions like that? You know, how dare you? And so I was like, you know what, I'm going to go against the current. So fine. It's, it's like you have one or two choices, either to go with the flow or swim against the current, you know, when adversity hits like that. And I decided I wanted to swim against the current. I'm not going to go with the flow and do what everyone else is doing by taking it off because it's okay to take it off since A, B and C took it off. And... I remember my good friend who who's currently uh, like uh, managing the group with me. Her name is Maha Laweshi. She sent me a, a message and she's like, you really need to read this because it's getting out of hand. And she's also a hijabi. And she was just like sharing about like how it's become like a trend. You know, it was becoming a trend specifically in Egypt and I'm Egyptian. So, it, you know, it was becoming a trend in Egypt that everybody was taking it off. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go off and create the social media platform, you know, and for me, first and foremost, as selfish as that sounds, and it will just help to empower these women share fears, concerns, insecurities, taboo uh, issues, even about hijab day. You say it's selfish, but actually it's absolutely not selfish because when people see you doing that, they're going through the same thing. And then they realize that they're actually not alone. And that is incredibly powerful. Look, now after I won you know, the, the Facebook Community Leadership Award, Um, I learned that this is the sense of community that a company like Facebook hopes to achieve by creating this platform for people to come on and share stuff online. Mm. You know, this is the whole point is to give people the power, you know, to to create um, a movement, not, you know, necessarily revolutionary, but like to create a movement to help you overcome hardships and things that you're not happy about in the world Mm. and that was the sense of community that I had not knowing about what a sense of community is in fact and then when the group started growing and growing and bigger and bigger and bigger 
I started really feeling like I do have the power. I have the power to speak up for myself. I have the power to fight for my rights. I have the power to fight for the rights of other women who might not have the same privilege of having a voice or being like, you know, confident enough to speak up or lean in, as Sheryl Sandberg always says, and in the sense that, um, you know, some, some women are just too shy. What will people think of me? You know what? No one is going to think anything of you. You need to go and, and do these things for yourself, you know, because no one is going to do it for you. Yeah, you have to be out there. You have to put yourself out there, which is what you did. And then there was that email right. to a little company called Nike, <laughs> which started a whole wave of incredible events. Talk to us about what happened there. So, you know, when the group hit 40,000 in 2014, I felt like, okay, you know what? I'm not alone. There's clearly a community who's backing me up with whatever decisions I make or take. And I felt like, you know, the utmost change that I wanted to see in the world was female representation in sports or hijabi females um, representation in sports. Where is, you know, the, the hijabi athlete who poses in, you know, a campaign with her hijab on either playing football or running or climbing a mountain or whatnot? There was zero, you know, we didn't know of any. Mm. And I drafted an email and um, there's a sports influencer and coach who I really look up to. Her, her name um, is uh, Sal, Salma Ismail. And at the time she was uh, affiliated with Nike and she was a Nike trainer. And I hit her up and she didn't really know me. And God bless her for being so kind, you know, to take um, my, 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 my message on Facebook. And I said, I have this idea. I want to write to Nike. Can you put me in touch with anyone? And, you know, she gave me the email address of Coach Tom, who was managing um, the Nike coaches at the time. And I drafted the email, super simple, upfront, to the point, attached a few photos of myself running a marathon, a half marathon, a link to the group and a YouTube um, interview with me, you know, uh, on one of the Arabic channels that I had just like had at the time in November. And I was like, where is the Muslim woman representation in campaigns? It's the Middle East. I don't see anybody who looks like me. You know, I'm able to do all these things. But who is the woman out there who inspires me? You know, and I sincerely had no idea and I had no intention to be that girl, mm. you know. Yeah. And God bless him. He picked up the email, um, wrote back to me. He's like, this is a great idea. Fantastic. When can we meet? And I was like, oh, my God, this is the beginning of a new era. Literally, we met up. He understood what I do. He understood about like, you know, my sports certifications as a coach and my athletic ambition as a marathoner and a mountaineer. Um, you know, in January 2015, I appeared as the first ever hijabi to appear in a Nike Middle East campaign. And I went off to model their hijab when they got inspired by this conversation. They went off and developed their own um, first ever hijabi performance gear, you know, to cater for Muslim hijabi athletes who train indoors and outdoors. And I had the honor and privilege to model it across the world. And I had the extra honor and privilege to even debut it in an international a world major marathon in New York in 2017 as the first hijabi athlete to run in a Nike Pro Hijab before it hit the market. What's incredible is, you know, it's hard. Look, if you have never won a hijab while trying to, to play sports or run a marathon, it's hard to kind of... Um, uh, to, to tell people 
how pivotal this piece of cloth is because you know it was lightweight it was you know well constructed you just put it on take it off like it it just no fuss mm -hmm. and it just let you do what you need to do mm -hmm. this was a really big deal it wasn't in the way a lot of times you know if you're uh in basketball or other different kinds of contact sports if a woman wanted to wear hijab she was banned from doing so because they thought it's going to get in the way it's going to get pulled off and whatever but big things happened for women in sport after the release of this piece of clothing. Talk to right. us about what happened uh, with the International Federation for Basketball. This is incredible. So so the Nike Pro Hijab uh, launched in um, March 2017 for International Women's Day. Mm. And it was a prototype like um, myself and Zahra Lari. Um, you big know, shout out to Zahra. Big Incredible. shout out to my girl. Um, you know, she, Zahra, Zahra, Zahra Lari is the first ever hijabi uh, to compete, um, you know, as a as figure, a figure skater. skater. yeah. Correct. And she's local, so she's from the UAE. Um, and, you know, we were the only two athletes who got to try it and test it out. And, you know, shortly after that, I received um, like a screenshot um, from the communication person at Nike, uh, Reham, and she said, look which photo they used to announce that the FIBA, the International Federation of Basketball, had lifted the ban on Muslim hijabi athletes and they had used my photo to make, you know, the press release or like, or the announcement. And for me, you know, I'm not a basketball player, like I, they might have not known who I am or not, but, you know, to have a single simple photo, you know, just like tell a story like that was, was huge, you know. Later on, so many other changes, you know, happened. Um, Nike went off and started working with Zayna Nastar. She's um, a champion. She's like a boxer um, based in Berlin uh, from Lebanese roots. And, you know, she's, I think, like a six times world champion or like a Berlin champion in boxing. She's, she's just amazing. Um, and in January 2019, the International Federation of Boxing lifted the ban on boxing athletes. Mm. So how amazing is that? And it's really a ripple effect. You know, like one thing leads to the other because one federation will inspire another federation. And it's just literally like, you know, one thing after another. Even for Zahra, you know, the same thing happened as well. You know, right. her putting herself out there, you know, meant that hijab was now accepted. Exactly. Into the world of figure skating as well. Right. Just absolutely incredible it's you know, you know this is amazing because it's worldwide right. worldwide right. ripple effect that we are seeing here uh, and when we come back in uh, just a moment Manal I want to talk more about uh, you running marathons and, and chasing mountains as well and, and seeing where you are going with all of that next right here on Life Beats on Pulse 95 Pulse 95 Life Beats with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. Talking about uh, how one person can become a movement and how we can all affect change with Manal Rostom. Um, uh, this is an incredible story so far, but you know, we haven't even really talked about you running marathons and, and becoming a mountaineer. You know, what? what is it about running that you love so much and what drives you in that it is not easy you know and and you went from um the boston marathon two weeks later you were doing the london marathon you know you're crazy in a great way <laughs> oh my god um okay so look honestly you know when i started out in um high school and being a part of the team i i was just good at running and 
I felt, you know, such a strong sense of pride. I remember the exact day when my PE teacher, you know, walked across, you know, the playground and she was like, hey, you made the team. And I just couldn't believe it. I was like literally one of the happiest girls because, you know, I was always known, you know, not to be tall enough or not good at volleyball. But running was like just my thing. And I wanted, you know, to get into the team. And then, like I said, after high school, you want that connection with school. You don't want to lose it, you know. And, you know, your body changes when you hit 16 and 17. Mm. I hated the curves. So I hated the curves, you know. So I would just like run and run and run to, you know, stay, you know, you know, in a certain body image. And we can talk about that maybe in another day. But like, I really did have a body image disorder and mm. I would run and run and run just because I wanted to stay thinner and smaller and, you know, looking like a high school kid, you but know. But now, now you've, you've discovered differently, right? Very differently. Like, I mean, you need to succumb to the fact that sometimes genes play a lot, you know, um, like a huge role in the way that your body looks. Mm. Um, sometimes you're muscular, you don't have big thighs. I was under the impression that my thighs were big and the more I ran, the bigger my thighs became and it was just like a vicious circle and I was like, okay, mm. how, how am I, until I actually became a personal trainer and I understood all these things, I was like, oh my God, you know, I look like this because I'm athletic. And I had someone straight up tell me, look, I can make you lose all your muscle, but you will not be able to go off and climb those mountains or run those marathons um, or just be strong. There's a difference between skinny and strong. And you know how they say like strong is the new skinny or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. But like um, I, I'm learning now to make peace with, with my body. But I mean, running I I essentially was the one thing that made me make a lot of peace with m my body. Like even if I wasn't in that shape, um, you know, that I aspired to look. Um, running at least made me s feel so good that at, at least I was trying. And then when I moved to Dubai, like, you know, there, um, you know, there's a huge um, athletic scene, you know, specifically in Dubai as an emirate, mm. you know, maybe because it has like the highest number of expats. I'm not sure, but there's a triathlon club. There's a running club, multiple running clubs. Right. There are swimming clubs. And then there are so many events like on a weekly basis, like there are marathons, there are triathlons, there are duathlons. Um, and I wanted to take part in all these things. I didn't know that, you know, a marathon was 42 kilometers. Mm. Like, you know, my information about running was just like in track and field. You know, you're doing those 400 meter races, relays or whatnot. But there are actually races that exist. You know, there are, there are ultra marathons and marathons. You right. Know? That are run over days. And yeah. So I, I, I signed up for, you know, my first 10K in 2010. And then in 2012, I signed up for my first half marathon. And for me, it was OK, OK, like I'm never running any further than this. Like I remember 5K was like, you know, death and decay inside my head. But then 10K was like, you know, severe death. And then you want to you keep want to like pushing your boundaries. And then, you know, in 2016, I found out that there is a whole like six world major marathons. There are six marathons worldwide that are recognized to be the world major marathons mm. and with, with a lot of pride I say that I'm the first Egyptian to finish five out of those six um, I've done Chicago Boston New York um, London and Berlin and I still have Tokyo to go but you know I I made a plan I made a plan for all these things like it just didn't happen like that and it's so hard to get into these races you can either qualify or you can um, raise funds you know to run for a charity which is easier because I'm not an elite athlete um, you know, like my body has so many injuries since I started running at a very young age. I can never beat my times right now. Like my pace is actually slowing down because of the injuries and I'm okay with that. Like, alhamdulillah, we have two legs. We have a lung, you know, that serves our, um, you know, athletic like 
career if you want. Um, so yeah, so I, I want to be the first Egyptian. You know, when you find out that there is no other Egyptian that has done it, you want to be like, no, but I want to be the first, you know, especially that it's my passion. It's not just I want to be the first because um, no one else has done it before. It's because it's my passion. Like, I want to get those medals, you know, that medal with the six countries. I'm dying for that medal, you know. Just to complete it, it's a set for you. But, you know, you're definitely not slowing down. You talk about injuries and whatever. You're not slowing down because you're climbing mountains as well. Right. Why? Why are you? I, I, what, what is it about mountain climbing that you love so much? Mountain climbing is the perfect blend between nature and, and athletics, if yeah. you want. You know, like I'm a girl who just loves adventure, nature, and sports. And to it's go like on the a natural progression for you. Exactly. Yeah. So, mountaineering gives you a chance to go live you know, very remotely in the most beautiful area, um, you know, and like a mountaineering, you know, country or site or whatnot. And you get to really challenge yourself. You have no idea, you know, what the feeling is like when you reach that mountaintop. Like, I mean, mountaineering is by far like so much more difficult than marathon um, running, you know. And, and I would like in all fairness, I would say you can't really compare, but it's just a different kind of sport, you know. It's cold, it's, you know, there's no oxygen, you're tired and you're hungry and, and the cold, you're a desert girl, right? And a desert girl goes from 40 degree weather to like sub-zero degree weather, like how is that even possible? But then when you stand on that mountaintop, it's just really, really invincible. You just want to be able to say it was so hard, it was like climbing a mountain. But then when you go and physically climb that mountain, you will beat that metaphor and then when that difficult thing comes your way it won't be difficult anymore and that's exactly why i climb mountains how do we get to climb our own mountains as well to be like you to can uh, overcome the obstacles that we see in our lives every day and even who knows maybe run a marathon or actually physically climb a mountain as well there is an inner voice inside each one of us i think if we only turn up the volume inside and like really really listen to what that inner voice has to say that's all that matters because what often happens especially in our arab societies and i mean i'm a very proud arab woman but also i felt like i had so many roadblocks throughout my 20s because the voices of society were so much louder or i allowed them to be so much louder than my inner voice mm. which said that you need to go and climb those mountains you need to go and run those marathons you need to go and stand up for your rights you need to go and speak up you're not aggressive you're not crazy you just want to go and live your best life while you're here we only get one life right so you only get one chance and you either make it or break it that's it so make it incredible. Yes. Manal, uh, we've run out of time, but absolutely incredible talking to you today. Thank you so much for having me, Sally. It was and an honor, really. I think uh, next we're going to have to, you know, uh, be running marathons with you. Yes. I feel like. Let's do that. I feel like this is, you know, where it's going to go. We, uh, you know, you've inspired me to just really, you know, take a look and see, you know, what are those limiting beliefs that Amazing. are stopping us all every day? It is not easy, you know, and you're the first to say that, but it can be done. Thank you so much. Uh, Coming up, more to come on Life Beats right here on Pulse95 as we get uh, updates uh, from the Moscow International Book Fair. Abdul Karim Hanif is there for us and we are going to be hearing from His Excellency Omar Saif Ghubash as well as Emirati calligrapher Khalid Al-Jalaf. So much more to come right here on Life Beats on Pulse95. 
This is Pulse 95. Tune in live every weekday from 10am.